Welcome to the Finance and Property Survival Guide. I'm Damien. I'm 24 years old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed most going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases and investing were never really talked about or explained in any great detail. And I want the Survival Guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week, I'll endeavor to speak to and learn from some of those within the industries uh, to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. So hopefully, more people my age and younger will start getting a little more financially savvy, uh, grow their financial knowledge. So for the first episode, uh, which you're listening to now, uh, we're talking to a guy named David. He's a mortgage broker from a company called Money Saver Home Loans. So for anybody that doesn't know, a mortgage broker is basically like a middleman for the banks. So he doesn't work for a bank. His job is to help people find the best home loan for them and their specific situation while being able to access a range of banks that have different products. Um, a lot of people are more likely to just go with the bank they're already registered with their bank accounts for, but often that bank will not be able to help you as well as another bank might. So that's where a mortgage broker comes in. So uh, the more episodes I do with David, you'll get to know him better. You'll get to know how a mortgage broker works, how they get paid, why they're an important part of financial business. So uh, without any further ado, here we go. First thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, some news that broke today. Um, speaking about uh, Heritage Bank have teamed up with a global information firm called Experian mm-hmm. to launch what they're calling a credit decisioning platform. So what, what the banks talked about with this was that it's an online tool. It'll allow you to cut average assessment time for home loans and personal loan applications. And they're stating it's going to cut the time from five business days to roughly one. Um, for eligible loans through auto approvals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hoping to roll this out over the next 12 months. Uh, the first thing that sort of popped out to me from this, and it's something you've spoken about, is how a lot of banks are offering a lot better interest rate deals right now. Yep. So people refinance and get, they'll get more business, but their processing times are really long. Yeah, And it's something that you've sort of had a little bit of complaint about before that so I wanted you to a bit um, if you can sort of expand on that yeah um, yeah. yeah so Experian are quite big they're like a data decisioning firm right sort of work with data so I think what they're trying to do here is come up with uh, like computer parameters so that when um, they get information from clients things like you know income property values um those sorts of things, they can um, give an auto approval for a loan a lot quicker. Right. Um, they'll they'll have um, like algorithms and that sort of thing, which will ensure that um, it's sort of like we call them like plain vanilla. Like if you've got a plain vanilla client who's got stable income, yeah, you know, good savings good equity, yeah. not much other debt, a good credit score, not much issues on the credit report, mm. that they'll they'll sell through quicker. Because at the moment, there doesn't seem to, from what, mind, from what our dealings with the banks, and we've suggested this to the banks a few times, is that there's um, there's some clients, they, they, they almost treat all the clients the same. Now, if you, if you go on an aeroplane, there's first class clients, business class clients, and economy class clients. Now, in lending, 
I think there should be a similar thing that people who have very good equity, low loan value ratios, um, good payment records, good equity in their property, not many loans, good credit scores, they should, their loan should be approved quicker and be looked at quicker than loans that of people that might have you know, five or six credit facilities, have defaults and all that sort of thing. Okay. So I think that's what they're, they're looking to do. The, you know, the big issue at the moment, um, traditionally when you buy a property, you make an offer and you've got two weeks to have your finance formally approved. Now that's the bank having gone through all your info, a value or having looked at the property and a Preston build done. And then two weeks after, after that two weeks, you exchange and then you've got four weeks to settlement. In the market we're in at the moment in most places where the market's really hot, um, most, a lot of places go on auction. Um, people are being forced into shorter exchange periods some banks are taking four to five weeks to approve a loan. So it's limiting lender, the choice of lenders that people can go to. So I think with this thing, um, you know, a lot of the fintechs that are coming on are a lot quicker at, make, at lending approvals, mm. but they take the first class clients. They yeah. take, they're only interested in um, people that have jobs rather than self-employed. Yeah, yeah. Um, low loan value ratios and that sort of thing. Yes, they're sort so, of looking for the more sure thing. It's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. They want the low hanging fruit, the cream. Yeah. So um, that was where with this news that I sort of automatically emphasised in the in the news that it said eligible loans. Like yeah, yeah. They're not going to take everybody, and it might not be that every loan they 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 take on will process in a day because they might deny a lot of them. Yeah. If they're not what they're looking for. Yeah, what, what happens at the moment, and this is something people need to be aware of, mm. um, a pre-approval, um, you've got to make sure your pre-approval has been assessed by a human being. Yeah. Because what will happen, a lot of banks, we will put in there, we will, we will lodge their loan and it'll pass all the computer tests and we'll come back and say um, it's conditionally approved. Yeah. Now... Um, if your broker or the bank, you're going to see the bank, they say you're approved, just make sure it's gone through their credit department. Yeah. Because it might get to the credit department and they might say, well, they might question some of your income, they might question some of your current loans and those sorts of things. They might question the bonuses you get, the overtime you get, the industry you're in, yeah. that you're on probation, all those sorts of things. That Are you really self-employed? Has your income been impacted by COVID? Um, the family trust distribution you get, have you been getting it for two years, all those sorts of things. They ask the questions later. You want to make sure that if you've got that computer approval and go buy at auction, that the bank is going to stand by it when you come to settle on the loan. So mm. that's just something people need to be aware be aware of. Okay. Um, also coming through the, the, in the news this week was the, the home loan deferrals. So um, from the, the May peak which was uh, the shares of, of loan deferrals um, at May 2020, which was above 10%. It's now down to 2.8% of home loans and 2.3% of all loans, according to the latest uh, APRA data. So um, from what this said in the news, that Victoria's got the state, is the state with the highest proportion of loans yep. um, subject to deferrals. Um, so look, I yeah. think that that's real. Yeah, this is really good news. You know, when the pandemic hit, 
um, a lot of the banks offered clients six, three to six month loan holidays. Mm. And that was fantastic because, you know, they didn't want people who uh, might be locked down, lost their jobs, those sorts of things to be worrying about. You know, if you've got a loan over 25 years, having a loan over 26 years, it doesn't really matter that much in the yeah. scheme of things. You know, you don't want to lose your house, especially during a pandemic. So that that was really well done by the banks and the government. And um, I think, yeah, the, the peak of 10% in May 2020 down to 2.8% is fantastic. Like, you know, that's one in um, not many loans. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's not, it's not many. You know, 2.8% is not a lot. It's fantastic. With the Victorian figures, not really surprising. A lot of that is due to the lockdown that they had that finished, what, November-ish. Mm. Um, yeah, they had like a two-month lockdown. So they've had a bit of an extended period of um, corona lockdown than the rest of the country that has had, like Sydney's had a small lockdown, the Northern Beaches had a bit of a lockdown. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really good news. Um, I think, you know, generally Australia's economic economically survived the pandemic well um how that's going to go into the future with um you know, how long it's going to last especially with what's happening overseas yeah. a, bit hard to, a bit hard to tell yeah it remains to be seen um so canstar figures were released during the week as well um which gave a bit of a breakdown of some of the uh the refinancing activity that happened so it's sort of interesting to see um especially something you've touched on a lot over the last, I don't know, six months of uh, the amount of banks that are trying to remain competitive by offering um, quite cheap like um, interest rates for borrowing money. So uh, the figures showed an average of 6,777 home loans had rate cuts of 0.30% uh, on average in 2020. And uh, there was a total of 2,678 fixed rate cuts for investor loans mm -hmm. uh, with an average cut of 0.32%. Um, the, the people at Cansar sort of talked about that. It was interesting that separate survey data commissioned by Mortgage Choice found a, connect, a disconnect between financial concerns and knowing their interest rate, which is, uh, that was a study we touched on last week too, that yeah. um, uh, the... The sentiment around caring about your financial situation had grown over 2020, but the lack, uh, the number of people that were aware of what their interest rate was, didn't really mirror that yeah. sentiment. Yeah. So, so with the with the CanStar one, um, yeah, we had a big drop in interest rates in March 2020 mm. when the pandemic hit, and yeah. then again in November. So yeah, and the. The RBA governor did say that interest rates probably not going to go anywhere for three years or so. Yeah. So that's why we saw the sort of the uh, spate of um, three and four year and five year fixed rates being really low. So, you know, at the moment, fixed rates are lower than variable rates. Um, what the banks did was um, drop fixed rates, but kept variable rates around the same, dropped them a little bit. And that was really to maintain their profit. Mm. Um, you know, said they do have loans on pause. Um, and you know they're having to incur quite a bit of staff cost in in managing loans on pools and that are those sorts of things. But interestingly, the the stat around the people that don't know about their what their interest rate is, I don't I don't find that surprising. Um, before Christmas, we went and saw quite a lot of our clients, 
just to say hello, give them their little gift, have a chat to them about you know what was happening and that sort of thing, and you know and offered a lot of them like a rate review because we don't um, always see what current rates people are on, and it's amazing how many of them if they send you their loan statement, the loan statement doesn't say what the interest rate is, yeah. so. The cynic in me thinks maybe that's been done deliberately, so people don't know. Um, you know, some people. One one of the customers who was an ING customer had to actually ring them to find out what their interest rate was. They couldn't find it on their app or their internet banking. So I think that's that one. That seems a bit dodgy. Yeah, so that's I think <laughs> that's one of the reasons why people may know not may not know what their interest rate yeah. is. Another reason in the old days we used to get a statement sent to us every three to six months. So it comes through the mail. You would open it up, have a bit of a look, and you'd see your interest rate. Now a lot of people get an email saying your your loan statement's on the app or on the portal, and you go, oh, beauty. But you don't actually make the next step to go there. Right. So I think there is, um, yeah, I think that's you know, some of the reason why that's there, but... It is a bit concerning that if people don't know what interest rate they're on, mm. um, how do you know whether they're on the right deal or not? And yeah, you know, when you, when you're um, yeah, you know, driving five kilometres out of your road to save three or four cents a litre on petrol to save like eight, eight or ten bucks, that's nothing compared to what you can save if you you mm. can save forty or fifty grand over the course of your home loan yeah. by being on a better interest rate. Exactly. Um, this is something that. I'm not exactly surprised at seeing in the news and it's something that many people have spoken about we're just talking that Canberra has become the top performing housing market by the end of 2020 um, this came from a report uh, from CoreLogic so over the year in December dwelling prices in Canberra grew by 7.5% um, the second highest annual gain next to Darwin's 9% keep mm-hmm. in mind so um, a, a property valuer out of Canberra said it's um something again that you've told me too is that like Canberra's relatively insulated from COVID due to the um just how many government jobs are there yeah most of those jobs are going to be pretty well safe and secure when when there's an impact like this yeah it's a it's pandemic proof yeah um Canberra so what what normally happens which we've talked about before in like economics is that the the economy uh, in the economy, either consumers spend money, business spends money, or government spends money. Mm. Now, when when um, you know when when consumers are, are fearful or losing their jobs or worried, they contract their spending. Um, I think the figure from the treasurer was that in the last year, Australians have saved two hundred billion dollars, which mm. is unbelievable. Yeah. We just need people to start spending it now. Um, businesses not spending as much, you know, businesses locked down. Um, you know, if 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 Melbourne's locked down and businesses aren't employing people and um, the businesses aren't, um, they aren't in business, it's the whole supply chain. Mm. Um, so if business is not spending, the government steps in and spends. So they've spent through stimulus, home builder, yeah. um, all these different you know, programs, infrastructure and that sort of thing. Now, to, to run those programs, you need public servants. So that's why Canberra, I think the job market in Canberra's improved. Um, and, you know, there'd be a lot of people who've lost their jobs would see that there's jobs in Canberra, move to Canberra. If people are moving to Canberra, they need somewhere to live, you know, yeah. unless you know someone who can put you up. Mm. So, um, yeah, Canberra sort of goes like 
like that. Who knows what will happen with Canberra though in the next couple of years because um, eventually um, one, once we get through the other side of the pandemic and we have to start paying that the debt, some of the debt back, yeah. there might be a reduction in government programs, which means could be a reduction in employment in Canberra, which might, yeah. might have a negative impact. Um, the other one was around Darwin. <clears throat> Darwin's quite an interesting one. Its property market hasn't moved in years. Um, it's also, along with Perth, has, you know, because it's so isolated, hasn't had many COVID cases. It's almost like COVID-free um, it and Perth. So, yeah, they're two markets that are starting to, to show some green shoots and a lot of a lot of people are saying, yeah, they're the places you should be looking to invest. Yeah, okay. Um, there's a few topics I wanted to sort of discuss with you and get your take on. Mm-hmm. Um, one is something that I see a lot uh, I, I guess I see it a lot in the property news over the weeks. Um, it's rent vesting, the yeah. term rent vesting. It's probably something we've covered before, but I just wondered if you could sort of give me the cliff notes of it. Yeah, cool. So with rent vesting, um, it is what, what it says. Um, you rent and you invest. Mm. So um, in a property sense, so you might um, you might uh, want to live in... Um, Surrey Hills in Sydney, mm. or Richmond in Melbourne, um, New Farm, Brisbane, uh, you know, Merriweather in Newcastle. But because of the property prices there, you can't afford to buy. You, know, you don't have the deposit, the, the property's too expensive to buy. In a lot of those areas, it's a lot cheaper to rent than it is to buy property. So what you, you ch- well, because you want to live there, but you don't want to miss the opportunity to invest, you uh, rent and then you invest somewhere else. So you might invest in Perth or Darwin or Launceston or Ballarat. So you put your so you live where you want to live, but you invest in another market. So you're at least getting some. Um, uh, yeah, you you got rent coming in from your investment property, paying it down. Yeah. You've got capital growth coming in from the property. You know, hopefully going up in value. You can also rent invest by investing in shares. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a different way. Quite a lot of the um, property people that we listen to on the podcast are, you know, they're all they suggest that that's the best way to make money in property, to rent where you want to live, mm. and buy property elsewhere. Because um, you know, if you want to live, if you want to live in, um, say, inner city Melbourne, you might need a million dollars. Yeah. Now, if you've got if you have got access to a million dollars in finance you might be better off just renting and buying three investment properties in other cheaper locations. And then in 10 years' time, those million-dollar properties are hopefully worth a million and a half dollars. So while you've rented, you've made you know, 500 grand, mm. so, which yeah, you can then use to buy a property yeah. where you want to live. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's the sort of theory. Um, it's not as simple as that, but um, we do lots of work with people that can help you on that path and help you with the finance for it yeah, okay so um um another one that came through that i wanted to talk to you about um the pros and cons of the work commute so there's obviously been a lot of um pros and cons coming out of covid where a lot more people were working from home um it sort of proved that people could work from home and still be fairly efficient with their time they they save time on how long their commute might have been and stuff. Yep. 
But um, there was a finder survey. Oh, sorry. Um, there was a couple of studies that came out during um the news this week about the work commute and what what might happen if we go back to having people working in offices. So mm-hmm. the some studies that were were coming out they implied that the commute to and from work um were the least and the third least favorite part of the day. Mm-hmm. Um. And a, a paper by some travel researchers in Europe determined that the longer the commute time, the more stress we tend to experience in that day, especially when we're just beginning the day and we've got, you know, an hour train trip yeah, yeah. either side of our work day. Um, and they talked about a few of those negatives, but they also start, talked about the fact that if you're in a situation where your work time's maybe 20 minutes to commute to and from, mm-hmm. it's almost a bit of a, a, a reset to to transition between the work and home life that people don't experience when you're working at home where you might feel like if you're just at home all day working you don't really ever switch off you don't disconnect yeah yeah Yeah, i think it's an interesting thing that um yeah we've sort of gone a couple of hundred years ago to where everyone worked within a walk from work everyone lived sorry everyone lived within a walk from work or they Mm. lived where they worked yeah and then with the industrial revolution and computers and all that sort of stuff, it then become that um, people went to an office to work. Now, um, when I used to go to an office to work, some yeah you know, we didn't have to commute that far, but for some people who had to commute quite away, the yeah you know, there was no real benefit for them sometimes to be in the office. They could actually achieve what they um, yeah you could you know they could work from anywhere. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, in that study, they talked. About, I I think the thing was was about. Um, I suppose a lot of people feel um, that the commute is not. It's sort of thrust on them. It's like it's 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 not an opportunity. Like if you use your commute time to educate yourself or listen to podcasts yeah. or chill out and zone out or yeah. listen to some music or read or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm that's where you can make the commute work for you rather than see the commute as a burden. Yeah. So one, I know a lot of um, uh, companies are starting to, you know, you know, saying they want people back in the office. Some are going back half time. Like you might be able to work two, you know, two days a week from home or three days a week from home. There is a big push in government to get people back in the office, but that's largely driven by the business community, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, they they've got um you know businesses that um have um been established on you know feeding the workers and you know people buy papers and yeah. people buy coffees and sure. you know people go out for drinks and you know they go to the movies and they go to the shops and all that sort of stuff so it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out um i do um one of the guys we listen to a bit simon presley um from propertyology their company um, has taken the um, decision that they're all going to work from home now. They will never go back to the office. And his 2IC has um, says he saves 12 hours a week that he used to spend commuting. So right. that's an extra 12 hours that he can use in his family time. Probably half of that he'd probably end up working anyway. Yeah. Um, but they actually don't need to be in the office to see each other through Zoom. Um, if they need to get together, they can go meet the cafe somewhere. So I think it's going to be yeah quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, just see how it all plays out. I don't think I don't think we've gone from one extreme to the other, of 
you know, everyone in the office to now everyone at home, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and it will be interesting, the blowback involved, like, the consequences can be interesting. The I think about in Melbourne, a lot of the, a lot of the CBD is full of cafes, and a lot of those cafes can't just rely on tourism, especially mm. if there's no overseas tourism right now. Yep. A lot of those cafes were reliant on CBD workers who were coming in and getting a coffee before they got to work, who came in on the trains or the buses, and then yeah. before they hit the office, they'd have a coffee. And a lot of those cafes that I know of in there are still not open, yeah. or they've just closed for good. Oh, for so sure. And, yeah, and, if, that. and if you had a million people coming in, buying coffee and lunch and going to the shops yep. and doing that stuff and buying you know, Christmas presents, birthday presents and those sorts of things, to now saying you got 40% of that number coming in, that's a huge reduction. Yeah. And that 40% may not spend what they used to because they're worried about, oh, we can't spend too much money because what happens if we lose our job next week? So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time, that's sure. Yeah, okay. Last thing we're going to cover, um, a finder.com.au survey um, wanted to um, get an idea of what consumer sentiment was doing this year, uh, like coming into 2021. Uh, it found that more than two-thirds of respondents um, believe that the conditions right now are right to purchase a home. So this 67% result, it's up from 42% in April of 2020 when COVID was sort of hitting. Um, they said that the confidence was highest in Adelaide where 77% answered yes. Melbourne had the second highest at 70%. Brisbane after that, Perth, and then Sydney coming last. Um, the numbers weren't available for Darwin, Canberra or Hobart, but mm -hmm. I f I'm not surprised that the consumer sentiment was lower in Sydney just because of I think how expensive it is already yeah. over there and things like that. But yeah, this like this is really interesting. In um, if you if you think of the property market like the movies or like the movies used to be, and the box office, mm. um, there's a lot of herd mentality in the box office, and there's a lot of herd mentality in property. At the moment, a lot of people think it's a great time to buy, so everyone's out there buying because they're worried that they're going to miss out. Another way of looking at it is that because there's so many people looking at buying and then there's not enough listings and um, there's not enough stock around, is that it's maybe not a good time to buy because we're in a seller's market and people are going to pay too much. So at the moment, the fact that confidence is up and a lot of people are thinking it's a good time to buy means that the property market price rises are probably going to keep going for a while because at the moment we've got clients... We've got clients in Hobart, Dubbo, Canberra, Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle who can't buy property. Sydney, I'm not sure if I said Sydney. But yeah, we've got people who've been looking, Lithgow, people who've been looking for four or five months for a property and can't find one, keep missing out. Because at the moment they go, a property will go up on the Wednesday night and they'll organise to go to the open. By the time they get to the open, it's been sold and the buyer has agreed to an unconditional exchange. So at the moment, there's a lot of... When, when you see surveys like this, yeah, Warren Buffett, I think, I can't remember his exact quote, but it's basic, basically um, when, people are, when people are fearful, that's the time to be aggressive, and when people are aggressive, that's the time to be fearful. So it's, it's, it's basically saying you buy um, 
con you buy in the time when it's different to what the market's doing. So a couple of years ago, um, we'd go to open homes in Newcastle where we are and there'd be no one at the open home. Mm. That's the best time to buy yeah. because there's lots of sellers, not many buyers. At the moment, at most open homes, um, it's like the opening night of the latest Marvel movie before COVID. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of people lined up and all that sort of stuff. That's what it's like. So at the moment, if you're not in a hurry to buy, it may be worth just waiting a little bit. Yeah, but okay. the problem is, if if because we can't predict the future, if the property market keeps going, you might find this time next year the market could be up 10%. Yeah. We don't know. So it's, uh, it's just one of those things. But consumer, what people perception is reality a lot of the time and if people are confident uh, when people are confident um, they'll do things and when they do things the economy goes well and all that sort of stuff but and then when like we saw when the pandemic hit when people um, were worried and were going you know their biz the business they work for shut down they put on job keeper and everyone stopped spending money that's when the economy contracted and we went in the recession you know the gdp went down seven percent or something so, yeah, at the moment, the interesting one was Adelaide. Mm. Um, we had a couple of people in Adelaide who were helping at the moment, and uh, that's something I'll definitely be telling them about because yeah. it could mean that the Adelaide market is the one that's um, prime for growth because it's sort of bubbled along, not doing spectacular. It's you know, bubbled along nicely, yeah. but it hasn't done great things for probably five or ten years. Right. Okay. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before um, we got out of here? Look, I think there was one of the other ones we... Um, we saw from Louis Christopher, and that was around Perth. Um, I think we've talked about how prices in Perth, if you bought a house in Perth in 2006, it's probably worth less now than what you paid for it, you know, 14, 15 years later. And that's because Perth had a huge um, boom, mainly off the mining um, uh, mining boom in, in the lead up to the GFC in 08, 09. So a lot of people are forecasting that Perth will be a bit of a growth market this year. Um, you can get some good property there for around the 300000 mark that has good yields and that sort of thing. So um, we, all, we often talk about, um, you know, you look beyond where you live to buy property because um, if you've got all your eggs in one basket, um, it can be a bit risky. Mm. Um, and the other thing is the the one that we saw about all of the wealthy people from around the world who are tipped to want to come to Australia. Um, yeah, I think what's going to happen once the pandemic gets under control around the world, um, people will, will be worried about future pandemics mm. and they'll be thinking to themselves, where where do we want to live that is almost pandemic proof or and it's going to be Ireland, it's going to be New Zealand and Australia. So I think that's means I think if the government wants to get the economy moving by getting people from overseas in, I think we could have a bit of a boom again like we did in the last, say, five or ten years. Yeah, so. it is, yeah we have, uh, we've definitely fared a lot better than a lot of places. Yeah. Well, look, one, one we're in Ireland, so we can shut our borders pretty quickly. Yeah. But the other one was um, the government following the health advice and basically said we're going to, we're going to mothball the economy for six months. Yeah. We're going to support business. We're going to support um, unemployed. Mm -hmm. We're going to support um, you know, 
people with JobKeeper and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff until we get on top of it. Yeah. And then we're going to slowly open and try and suppress it. So they've done a pretty good job across the, across the country, whether you like them or not. Mm. Um, I think if you're, uh, if you're whinging about how the government has done things, it probably says more about your bias rather than reality, mm. in my opinion. Okay. Is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, no, just um, yeah. Hope you're enjoying it. Got any questions? Let us know, and um, yeah, we've got plenty of resources on the Money Saver Home Loans Facebook page and website. If you yes, need sir. any help, happy to help anyone. Okay, awesome.